Leonard Cohen suggested, there is a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. This viral crack gives us a chance to create something new and better. So let's talk about back to different and let the light in. Hi, it's Mac Bogart back yet again uh, with another lucky victim to talk about back to different. This is Rob Tim, and I've known Rob for a long time in a whole bunch of different capacities. Like me, he, he loves music, he plays music. Um, his life is still focused very much on music more than mine, but um, it's a passion we share, and we have other ways in which we interact. Rob is one of the smartest people I know, and <laughs> I mean no offense, but um, I've seen you take on some people in some political conversations where mm. I thought this guy should be a, a commentator because you have your you have your facts and your data and compelling arguments and I used to be a debate coach so I admire your technique so I'm going to ask you to just bring us up to date kind of on uh, your journey to this place Rob is sitting in the studio with Zildjian symbols in the background and he has that kind of weird look and foam rubber stuff on the back for acoustic purposes. So <laughs> it, could, it couldn't be a better setting. Take it away, brother. Well, thank you, Mac. Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting that you, you said that um, regarding my political engagement, because I, I really hadn't thought of it before, but it's true that I did. I committed my first overt political act when I was eight years old. Uh, it was 1968. I have a wonderful sister who's 11 years older, and she was a political science major and a volunteer on Bobby Kennedy's presidential campaign. Wow. And uh, for whatever reason, I felt compelled to uh, go into our garage and sit on the floor and paint an RFK sign that was, um, you know, a copy of his logo and stand at the end of our driveway on our completely dead, low-traffic suburban street with my Kennedy sign, and, you know, maybe two cars drove by in an hour, but I, I had made my statement. <laughs> as, as far as my journey goes, you know, yeah, I, I did. I grew up in a little suburban neighborhood um, west of Boston, and uh, music was always a, a big part of, of the house. Uh, especially from my mother's side, they were they were singers, and you couldn't you couldn't stop them. They gathered. There was a piano. There were show tunes. It was horrible. <laughs> um, <laughs> but you know, also she was the kind of mother that forced me to go to see the Boston Symphony Youth Series when I just wanted to listen to my sister's Beatles records. Um, but I, I'm forever grateful for that. And and yeah, I. Uh, you know, played music growing up. And when I was about 18, I had a very talented cousin uh, who uh, played fiddle in a, a band out of New Orleans. And they were touring up through the Northeast and they needed sound man. And uh, so I went on the road with them and I got to see what life was like on the road for actual working, touring musicians. And these guys were good. I mean, they were really good. They were uh, like a... Uh, a swing band out of uh, New Orleans. And uh, we traveled by van and uh, we 
to save money would frequently stay at campsites and you'd wake up in the morning wondering, you know, where do I take a shower today? Where am I going to brush my teeth? And I realized that these guys were much better musicians than I was. And I should try to find a different way to make a living. <laughs> <laughs> um, and as luck would have it, uh, I was uh, playing in a band at that time with uh, a roommate of uh, that same older sister. And uh, he uh, was an afternoon DJ at a, at a big rock station. And uh, he made a lot of money and played music for fun. And I thought to myself, well, now see that, that looks like a way to go. He drives a luxury car and uh, sleeps in a nice bed at night and he gets to play records all day. Uh, so I, I went to, I ended up going to, uh, to college to uh, pursue that and realized music would be an avocation uh, for, uh, for me uh, and that uh, broadcasting would be my, my vocation. Um, and that's really uh, what I've done ever since. I've gotten some great breaks, um, got hired while I was still in school uh, on some, you know, major market stations in Boston and never looked back. Ended up uh, as a helicopter traffic reporter, which was like the most awesome job ever. Wow. Because we flew out of this uh, airfield outside of Boston that was near Walden Pond. So I would go and uh, fly around in a helicopter for three hours in the morning, and then I'd have a six-hour lunch break. I'd grab a book and go to Walden Pond and read, and if it was summertime, you go swimming. Walden Pond has these crystal clear water. It's what's known as a kettle pond. And um, it, was, it was a fabulous existence. Uh, but apparently I was too good at my job and the company wanted to uh, transfer me. They wanted to promote me and the only way they could promote me was to transfer me to another market. And that's how I ended up getting sent down to, uh, to Baltimore to run the traffic reporting services there. Um, doing that, uh, coordinating the traffic for like 18 radio and TV stations. One of the stations I did traffic for was the legendary WHFS. Oh yeah. And, uh, so I did traffic in the mornings there and I had to go in there to renew their traffic reporting contract with them. And after we had that, you know, business meeting, uh, talking to the, uh, the program director and he said you know you seem to know more about the bands we play than half of my DJs do you want a part-time gig and you know I had left my, my band back in Boston I wasn't playing music anymore and I was like yeah that'd be awesome uh, and so I, I did Saturdays at HFS uh, for about a year and I got in a lot of trouble because I never put in a timesheet um, because I was doing it purely for fun and I finally got yelled at, finally put in my timesheet. And then shortly after that, they hired me to do the, uh, to work on the morning show. Right. And so I worked at HFS for like 13 years, leaving right before they imploded and turned, in, turned Spanish, left about a year before that, and came to WRNR in Annapolis, which is another very adventurous radio station. And uh, I've been there ever since. So I've really, for almost... 30 years now, I've only been at two radio stations, which is 
highly unusual in this industry. Um, and I've been very lucky. What, were the, uh, what was the span of years when you were at HFS and uh, who was the program director back then? Uh, that would have been 91 to uh, 2004. Uh, for most of that time, Robert Benjamin was the uh, program director. And uh, then they uh, brought in this uh, really horrible person from K-Rock out in L.A., and that's what led to the demise of the station and flipping to Spanish. Um, and she and I did not get along well. Uh, <laughs> so I, uh, the timing of everything worked out perfectly for me. I, I, have, I have trouble visualizing someone who, who, whom you couldn't get along with, number one, but right. it's possible. Um, number two, my my uh, halcyon years with HFS were were right around 1980. Um, I was playing I was playing music in the Washington D.C. area, and I spent a lot of time um, at the Psychedelic, uh -huh. which is pretty much right across the street there, up on Cordell Avenue. And I, you know, and um, I hung out with Damien both before and after he he mm -hmm. almost died in a car crash, and right. with Weasel and with Surf and with John Hall and all those people. And it yep. was a, it was a remarkable time, and they introduced me to a whole bunch of music, which had a gigantic impact impact on my style of playing and on my consciousness about where music can go. Right. Right. And that was, you know, that's one of the areas where I've been really lucky. Um, you know, when I mentioned that I was a, a traffic reporter, the reason I, I went into that was, uh, you know, at the time, and it was, it was the mid-80s, there was um, one truly adventurous alternative radio, uh, commercial radio station in Boston, WFNX, and you could literally make more money at McDonald's. Um, and I was working at this, uh, this like horrible, um, adult contemporary station, you know, Lionel Richie and stuff like that. Um, but they had their own helicopter, which was unusual. It was a Hughes 500, the same kind Magnum used to fly around in. And, uh, and the guy that did traffic, uh, for them, uh, officer Bill O'Connell, he was a cop who was nearing retirement, and so he got like eight weeks vacation every year, and they needed somebody to fill in for him. And I had no interest in doing traffic, but I wanted to ride around in a helicopter, so I volunteered. And um, as a result of that, I then got hired by a traffic service, Metro Traffic, to do traffic reporting because I was one of the rare animals around who had helicopter-based traffic reporting experience. Uh, and so that was again where I said, "Well, you know, I'll, 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 I'll do this job that doesn't involve music, but I've still got my band, and I played in a band, and it was all originals and stuff. And so I, I satisfied that musical component by playing in a band and going to a lot of shows. I used to go out to see music, you know, I don't know, four or five nights a week. Yeah. Well, let let me." Um attempt to uh, to bring us back to uh, here and now or to here and now um you are the i consider the guru of wrnr i don't know if that's what it says on your office door 
<laughs> but, uh, Technically, uh, I'm the morning show host and production director. Okay. So, this craziness, this tsunami, this earthquake, this meteor, however you want to frame it, mm -hmm. I would gather that it that that nobody has been unaffected. So how has it um, hit your market, your 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 work, your because I don't know that much about the radio business. How has it struck you guys? Well, it, it hit us very, very hard um, because we are um, very much in and of the community. And, you know, being a, a commercial radio station, your source of revenue is commercials. And the great majority of our clients are local small businesses. And... Uh, you know, in and around Annapolis, San Arundel County, near Eastern Shore. Uh, and then uh, the music industry and live music shows and events. Right. So, you know, obviously nobody's advertising those anymore because they don't exist. And so many of our local small businesses have been hit so hard by this. You know, they, they either were shuttered or they've been hit so hard they have a difficult time advertising. So um, it, you know, we took, there were times when our revenue was down maybe 80%. Uh, I mean, we're, we've been bleeding money. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, that, that's the, the, the biggest impact is, you know, like, crap, how are we going to make payroll? Um, we've, we've managed to so far. We did get you know, one of those government loans, and, and we did spend it on <laughs> payroll. <laughs> um, but it's, uh, it, it's funny. Everybody who can is telecommuting, you know, the sales people uh, and uh, scheduling and, and all that stuff is all, all being done from a, a townhouse here and a and a club basement in Catonsville there. And uh, there's rarely more than two people in the radio station at a time anymore, uh, which I kind of like because, you know, I'm a misanthropic loner. <laughs> that sounds like a, uh, a Chris Christopherson country song. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a misanthropic loner, uh, but it, it rhymes with some dangerous things. It's, yeah. Um, so uh, aside from that, you know, it, it's, it did also, um, this has in, in a, a big way, I think, brought out some of the best in us as well, because, you know, as broadcasters, you kind of take that very seriously. It's, um, it's a part of the journalism family, even when, you know, even if you're just a, a guy that plays records. You, you're still responsible for a transmitter in a community, um, and you are a source of um, immediate information, and in a way that most media are not. And um, so we kind of, uh, when everything spiraled into lockdown, we took it very seriously, and we took it as one of those 
moments when you can rise to the occasion and and really look towards the noble side of of the profession. And we did everything we could to uh, to help local businesses um, to uh, get word out of what they were doing and who was open and and all that. And and for no money, it was just you know these these are our friends. These are people we have relationships with, and even people that we didn't. We were like, hey, this place is open, and they've got that. And uh, and then also, of course, making sure that people are informed about how to how to navigate this weird world safely, uh, what sort of precautions you should be taking, and how you should be behaving. So that was, and that's great, and that allows you to run on adrenaline for a certain period of time. But I noticed after about uh, six or eight weeks, it was kind of like. Okay, I'm really kind of done with, <laughs> with this. I, not this way. I'm not saying they have to be the way they were, but I'd like them to be not this way. Has it um, has that necessary shift in focus? How much has that affected your programming? Um. Well, that's that's difficult to quantify. I mean, I I host a mo- morning show, which is a a mix of music and, and talk. And what I talk about, historically what I have talked about has been, um, there's a lot of music news and information and you know talk a lot about the artists that we play. And um, then the other thing we try to provide is a lot of local and localized news uh, and national news. Uh, and Obviously, the the way that what I have to tell people about artists has changed radically. Um, we're not talking about tours anymore. We're talking about who's streaming what, when, and where, um, or this charity event that you can support. And in terms of local and national news, you know, I mean, this morning I was on talking about what. Uh, Governor Hogan had to say yesterday afternoon uh, regarding what we needed to do. And I find myself talking about, oh, you know, look, we have record high deaths now. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's, and here's where you can go to get tested. And, uh, but, and you know what I actually I've noticed uh, an odd side effect of this whole thing? The number of Florida man stories has dropped precipitously. Really? Yes. Now, I don't know if that's because Florida man is staying in his house and not going out and doing his traditional stupid Florida man things, or if uh, he's just being drowned out by more consequential things. And, you know, uh, we're talking about Portland instead of Fort Lauderdale. I don't think I've noticed that. (laughs) Take take a look around. you know, you don't notice the absence of Florida man, I think, because he is, a, you know, the definition of inconsequential, really. Right. Uh, but, uh, yeah, there's there's a lot less of that. And now, of course, Florida man has been replaced by Covidian, who is the guy that won't wear a mask and starts a fight with a, you know, poor, beleaguered, innocent retail employee who's just trying to do their damn job. You know? Yeah. They just... And, there's a maliciousness in in them that I that I I can't necessarily ascribe to 
you know, the guy who's running down a roadside in Florida with no pants on. Right. Well, you, you have also recently moved out to Fishnip yeah. Farm, which I know is, is like fills you with, with joy and uh, makes you want to go out and buy bib overalls. Um, and I know your family, who are also a real important part of everything you are. So how has that side of your existence worked out? I think it, as far as I know, because you keep sending us pictures of vegetables and stuff. Uh, <laughs> as far as I know, that part of your life seems to be going very well indeed. Well, I'll tell you, um, up until a little over a year ago, we were living in a townhouse. And I think if I was still living in a townhouse during these times, I, I think I'd be going squirrely and losing my mind. Because we are here and, um, you know, we, we have spacious outdoor, huge tracts of land. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, I have a vegetable garden and, and I have these other uh, areas that I can hang out in. And I have a, a proper front porch for setting. Proper. Uh, because of that, I actually... You know, I've become such a homebody that I, I don't mind limiting my travel. And in fact, I find that, you know, if, if I don't actually absolutely need something badly, I will come home from work on Friday and I will not leave the house. I won't leave the property again until I have to go to work on Monday. So this place has been a godsend, uh, godsend for my emotional uh, and mental health there's there's no question about that i do have you know i i worry about my son because uh, i have i have a son who's uh, just about to go into high school and he has spent a, a couple months telelearning right and uh, and then he's got this summer when we're not going on our usual vacations and he's not going to his usual music camp and you know whatever else he would be doing and he's looking forward to starting a new school in the fall where he won't know anybody and he's not going to get to know anybody because they're all going to be online uh so he'll be at a place with 2,000 new kids not whom he sees or forms relationships with and i you know that's concerning to me what uh, school? Uh, he's going to uh, Broadneck, which is not the district we're in, but he was uh, offered uh, two different seats in the um, PVA, Performing Arts uh, Program there. Uh, he was offered a guitar seat and a cello seat, and he, uh, in a bizarre moment of maturity and with no prompting from me, chose cello. So <laughs> Maybe he's more mature than I was when I was, you know, four. Maybe maybe that part of his decision-making process takes after his mother. It must be. He didn't get it from me. <laughs> so let me ask you a couple of questions. Um, one is about, you know, the, 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 the point of this podcast is, is back to different, is that um, in spite of, of all the, the – uh, all the wishing and, and the grieving and a lot of false golden era before <laughs> thinking, um, yeah. it ain't going to be the same. 
I mean, it's, it's, it's just not. So looking at, at what you do, looking at WRNR, assuming, you know, you're going to continue there. Mm-hmm. Do you have any either um, data about any movement you see that will, that will help, help you all, you know, get, meet your payroll and or do you see the role of local radio changing because of this? Well, because of this, um, you know, the, the role of local radio has been changing forever. Um, when, I was, uh, when I was in college, uh, around 1984, the head of the media communications told me that there was a future in radio um, <laughs> because everything was going to be video. Uh, now, somehow I managed to eke out a, a pretty good career <laughs> in this place that had no future. But having said that, the role of radio has been changing drastically since the mid-1990s when um, we had some significant deregulation come in and there was basically an Oklahoma land rush on radio station licenses, and it changed the dynamic, the money dynamic in the industry forever. And that's what led to the rise of Clear Channel, who everybody hated so much, they changed their name to iHeart. Um, and, you know, you saw... All, all of these uh, independent radio stations were, were bought up and there was consolidation and it has continued and continued and continued. And um, then you add into the mix everything that, that the 21st century has brought us and particularly the last 10 years, for example, this podcast, right. uh, which is a competition for an ear in a way. Um, Nobody, you know, we didn't have to worry about people saying, oh, I don't want to listen to the radio. I think I'll listen to a podcast right? Uh, in the past. Um, so, you know, the way that people use radio is, is constantly evolving and it's changing. And that also is never going to go back to the way it was when you and I were younger men. Uh, so... Those are the market forces that I think are going to have a greater impact on my industry than this COVID-19 thing are. Uh, in, we will be affected more in the same sense that every other small business around will be affected. Uh, and uh, how we will adapt to that, I am uncertain. Because we already ran a really lean operation yeah. uh, pretty much out of necessity you know you're if you're lucky and you have just a handful of, of very talented people which I'm lucky enough to work for uh, with um, you, you can pull that off um, so I, I, I really don't know what the future holds for us much of our fate rests hand in hand and clearly in the in the same basket as uh, everybody else around here, you know, all of these other mom and pops and small and mid-sized companies that, uh, that make up the fabric of our community. Um, cause they are inseparable from us and, and what we do. So when I see news like 
today where it's like, oh, look, we just dropped a third of the GDP last quarter. You know, well, well, that's a that's a nice little dip in the roller coaster there, isn't it, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, one of the things I've discovered, you know, you were talking about spending time at your house and mm-hmm. gardening and stuff is um, is is making my focus much smaller. Yeah. You know, in order to to not creep myself out much less hope my wife or our dog or my neighbors and and one thing i want to suggest i have seen where we live and we live in a condo um is people who live around here are congregating more Mm -hmm. we're six feet away or we're across the street right and people whom I used to know their cars because I only saw them on their way to work. Now I know them and their dogs and their kids and their story and their aches and pain. You know what I mean? It's like, it's, I love that. It's kind of like, kind of like Mayberry. Yeah. Yeah. I do. I love that because you know, when, when we were kids um, and, and, and it's not just because I had the paper route, but I knew who lived in every house on my, and the next street over. I mean, every house. Um, and I, I lived in this uh, townhouse for 12 years, and I knew like three people on the street. <laughs> you know, it, other than exactly as you said, other than the wave as they as they went by, and it's like, oh. But you know, well, I don't. I um, I don't want to get too. Um, we are the world um, about it. and i think that that all of us have some different kind of pain than we've had in the past or a different degree because of this number one number two i i think all of us are starting to realize how how important a a sense of community really is Mm -hmm. i see people gravitating there um and third, I think radio is a much more, much more intimate medium than right. it is. It is, it is my mother's voice or my neighbor calling out for the cat. It's there's a there's a different kind of almost spiritual connection to the human voice. So I am wondering if, um, as we move through forward, however you want to frame it, if the role of radio may fill a little more of that sense of community niche better because that's what you guys, that's, that's part of what makes WRNR special. Anyhow, right. You are part of, of who we are here. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I, I, I hope so. Um, I mean, nobody, uh, Nobody on Spotify is going to uh, share your bewilderment about that big honking boat that sat on the side of 97 for three weeks. (laughs) (laughs) What is up with that? (laughs) The question, but I can commiserate. (laughs) Well, I have a final question for you. Sure. 
And that question is, <clears throat> excuse me, years down the line, mm -hmm. when you are no longer here to bother Carlin. Mm -hmm. My son. Yeah. Um, when he's talking to his kids or his grandkids or wherever, you know, whatever he produces in his life or his friends, and the conversation turns to the year 2020 mm -hmm. and how my dad handled it. Mm -hmm. What would you like him, what would you like his read, his perspective on how Rob Tim dealt with this insanity? He seemed fine. <laughs> <laughs> That's it? <laughs> yeah, things were not that weird at, at my house, you know? It's, uh, he, geez, I, I really don't know in terms of how he'll say I handled it. Yeah. Uh, well, he definitely uh, hasn't had any uh, any reason for concern. I still spend most of my time at home laughing, uh, which is which is a, a blessing <laughs> completely. Because, well, no, I, I I actually I'm lying. I don't spend all of my time laughing. I also uh, spend a, a portion of my time yelling at my television if I'm watching the news. Right. Uh, but uh, I, th you know, I I really don't know how he's going to digest and remember this year because, as you and I know, this is the most weird ass year of our lives. Um, but his life. Let me put it to you this way: <laughs> our perspectives change so much as as we are on this planet longer. You remember when you were a kid and summer lasted forever? Yep. It was the same length it is now. <laughs> and now it goes by in the blink of an eye. So perhaps the fact that it goes back in the blink of an eye is part of what allows us to cope with periods of time like this better. And hopefully if we cope with them better, then our children don't recognize them as something to freak out about. If, if we're not freaking out, then they don't have any reason to feel fear or, or anything like that. Now, having said that, I do know that um, he's cautious and doesn't particularly want to be around you germy people because you might infect him. And yet, he's not. Yet, it's not a fear-driven existence kind of a thing. So, you know, uh, this is a very long way of uh, saying an answer to your question. I have no freaking idea. <laughs> God, you guys who work with a microphone, you can't stop talking, can you? No, you can't. It's a, it's a curse. It is a curse. Uh, thank you, my friend. Uh, love to your family. Um, and to yours. Um, other than um, additional facial hair. Um, <laughs> You you look and seem the same, which is Thank good. You. I didn't I didn't suspect otherwise, but whenever I do one of these with somebody I really know, there's always a little bit. What if they're like ah? <laughs> yeah. What if what if they look like they've been you know maybe they started a meth lab? I can't tell. <laughs> no, but uh, you know, all in all, I'm doing well. You look like you're doing well. I cannot complain. I mean, yeah. 
it's okay. I've been through a lot, just like you have. And, right. uh, and this is really, really strange. But, you know, I remember John F. Kennedy's death when I was in the 10th grade. Um, I went to Woodstock and I came back in somebody else's clothes. Um, <laughs> I, was, I was a block from the World Trade Center on 9-11. Mm-hmm. You know, and I've been mugged and been chased by rednecks in Southern Virginia. I've had, I got no complaints about my life, but this is not the first trauma. It's a different one, but you're yeah. right, right? Yeah. Yeah. It, and it's, uh, you know, I don't know. It's for me, I don't, it doesn't feel traumatic. It feels at this point kind of wearying. Yep. You know, I'm just, I, I'd like us to make a little progress and get through the, it's like, okay, uh, all right, you kids need to clean up the room. We need, we need to get a move. <laughs> let's, let's uh, put the toys away. Yeah. And then We're let's go outside to- and play. Right. Yeah. yeah. All right. Hopefully we will see you soon. Um, thanks for your time. I hope so. Thank you, Mac. Thank you for inviting me here. Later brother. Thanks for giving us a listen. As we move forward with this situation, with this thing that's us, let's never forget that we are all in this together. No matter what else happens, we're all in this together. Thank you.